Hello and welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Mission Cigar and Social here in Spring Hill, Tennessee. One of your hosts, Trey Devin, I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. So y'all missed intro karaoke this week. I really expect when I when we're doing mic test and I start singing Jimmy Buffett for you to chime in and join along. You know, you you didn't pick a song this week that I didn't know, but you did pick one I don't know the words to. Oh, you don't know Bama Breeze? Not as well as I know most of the rest of his catalog. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, all right. We'll have to we'll have to have a pre mic check meeting. Yeah. <laughs> determine which <laughs> song we're going to karaoke before the show <laughs> starts, but. Oh, so before we... Well, let's go ahead and light our cigars. All right. Then I got to talk about getting a haircut. All right. What are you smoking? So I'm smoking the Caldwell Lost and Found 15 Minutes of Fame. So here's... been, And this is a Lancero. And it's a 7 by 40 And it's a Habano wrapper, Sumatra binder, Dominican Republic, Nicaraguan filler. But here's the deal on this cigar, what makes it interesting. Everybody at the show tried to sell us a Lancero like they were selling us gold. Yeah. And I told all of them the same thing. I said, the only way you're going to sell a Lancero in this store is to establish the cigar as a good cigar and then bring it in in a Lancero for people to try. Right. Let them smoke through it in a Toro and a Robusto and a Gordo. And decide they like it. Then you can introduce it as a Lancero, and people will accept it. But people are not going to accept a Lancero straight out of the box in this store. Yeah. Unless, and then Caldwell proved me wrong, (laughs) unless it costs $8. Okay. So this is an $8 Lancero. I've smoked a couple of them. I really like them. Um, The price is perfect for the cigar it is. It it's I wouldn't want to pay fifteen dollars for it. I wouldn't want to pay twelve dollars for it. Probably wouldn't want to pay nine fifty for it. But at eight dollars, it's a good stick. All right. So I am smoking the Jake Wyatt Herbert Spencer on your recommendation, and it so it's San Andreas Maduro wrapper with Dominican binder and filler. I really like the artistry behind this cigar. So if you've not seen this in your local shop, it reminds me of, you know, LFD puts out the limited edition that looks like a football and things like that. They have the two different wrappers to make a artistic design on the outside. And they actually use the various... Uh, different styles to denote which cigar is which, which I really like. I think that's clever. It's, you know, about 13 bucks a stick, which is a little on the high side, and I wonder how much of that goes into just to the extra work to make the wrapper look this way. So, Jake White's cigar kind of hit this shop at a good time. We were looking for something new to bring into the humidor, but we didn't want to bring in four facings of a new product. We wanted something that we could just bring in simply and add to the humidor. Just, you know, um, one of the things that we end up working really hard on at this shop is keeping a fresh humidor. Keeping the humidor fresh, keeping things moving in the right direction. And we'd kind of gotten into a little lull where some of our special stuff had fell off. So Jake White came in at the right moment. Yeah. Well, and timing is 
Timing is everything. But it's like chlorine. I'm waiting for you to smoke it and tell me how you like it because... It's got um, a certain swimming pool quality to it right off the initial light. We, we probably won't be reordering. <laughs> so right. I was hoping that maybe you would be one of the people that like it. I've not ran across a lot of people that love it, but mine and your palate's so different. I wanted to see what you what you think about it. That's That's got an interesting first taste. I don't know. But anyway, so I did get my hair cut today. And okay, you'll have to answer me this because I go to sports clips. Yeah. I would love to go to a good barber, but I ain't got half a day to burn on a haircut. I've got a great barber in Columbia. He does an amazing job, but you got to make an appointment. By the time you get there, you're, he's usually 30, 45 minutes behind. The haircut takes 30, 45 minutes. You got to come back. I can burn half a day just going to get a haircut. Yeah. And I ain't got that kind of time in my life. Yeah, there's a there's a barber shop in Dixon that everyone, you know, he shows up at the at the cigar shop out there occasionally, and so everyone speaks very very highly. My only complaint is that it's walk in only, and he's the most popular barber in town. So it ends up a bit like the Andy Griffith show, where you walk in, and there's four guys sitting in front of you, and yeah, it's going to be two hours. Yeah, and I, I just. No, I can't do it. So I end up going to sports clips. And sports clips, so I have to use thinning shears on my hair because my hair is so thick. Right. And if you use thinning shears and you don't go home immediately and take a shower, you're going to be shedding all you're gonna over You're going to be itchy the whole rest of the day. So I have to get the shampoo while I'm there. Well, of course, sports clips can't sell you a shampoo. They have to sell you a shampoo scalp massage hot towel treatment and all that so i'm laying in there and she's got the hot towel on my face and she's done the head massage thing and she's done the shampoo thing and she looks down and she says well do you want the double take we can do this all again i said well wouldn't that be a little awkward at this point for you and (laughs) and she looked at me and she kind of snickered for a minute and i said and I'm sure the triple take would be absolutely ridiculous right. at this point. And she said, yeah, we have to ask, but it is kind of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> so just sports clips, reel it back a little. And if you're in sport, I mean, there's, okay, if I'm getting a shampoo and another woman rubs my head, that's okay. But if I'm paying extra for her to rub my head longer, I think I'm trading into some <laughs> some questionable some territory. territory. Yeah. Well, it's funny because they used to they used to do just you know their whole thing is the sports motifs. So the the MVP is what they call it, and they give you the little shoulder massage and all that to make it really worth. But they used to when they first opened have it was called a, a double play, and it was you got the haircut and they washed your head and that was it. And it, I hate that they got rid of that. I wonder if that's like a secret menu thing where you can ask for that. Well, no, that's what I always get. I always get oh, the they haircut. Oh, they don't do the shoulder walk. massage with a little yeah, bit? Yeah, yeah that's that, the MVP. Yeah, now they've got this big jackhammer-like thing that yeah. they wear you out with and all. But it wasn't bad. It just... Um, I'm, but I just... I don't need to sit in a chair awkwardly getting my back massaged by a piece of machinery. I, I, I'm perfectly fine. I'm glad you said machinery. Yeah. <laughs> I just, just, you know, yeah, cut my hair and wash it. And, and hey, I would like my barber with fewer tattoos. 
I don't care. I've, there's just only so many tattoos I want on my barber. I'd kind of like my barber thin down on the tattoo side. Of I don't. I, I don't mind that at all. Oh yeah. See, I, I just there comes a point where I start questioning their upbringing and the morality of someone that has tattoos from well, ear lobe to ankle. Here's the thing, though. Tattoos are expensive. So if I ever see somebody in a tip-based endeavor, occupation, whether it's a server, a bartender, a musician early in their career, or, or a barber, if you can afford to be completely covered in tattoos, you must be pretty good at your job. See, I don't think it works that way. I think they would rather pay for the tattoos than drive a nice car. They probably live in an apartment and rent, you know, rent a house and have a car payment. So, more power to them. There's a lot more that goes into buying a house than just having a bunch of money scrolled away. No, but that's the chief factor. <laughs> and it should be a priority. You know, I drove, I walked by um, an apart. I was at the apartments walking the dog coming back through there. And there, somebody had an electric reliant truck sitting in the parking lot of an apartment. How bad are your priorities that you've got an $80,000 truck and don't own a home? That's problems. That's that's a lack of, of priorities in a big way, especially being it's an electric truck, and there's nowhere to charge an electric truck in that apartment complex. Yeah. They, I mean... I, it's not to me. It's not for me to tell anybody what to spend their money on. I, it is I, me. Yeah, I know it is you. But it's you know, if if it makes people happy, it makes people happy. Your home is the most important aspect of your financial portfolio because it's the one asset that's always increasing in value. The worst your home will ever do is nothing. The chances of your home going down in value are so, as an investment, are so small. For you not to invest in it is to miss out in the the most basic part of financial planning. Yeah, but at the same time, we're dealing with sort of unprecedented inflation of home prices right now, and we have been in this area for almost you know probably five years, but certainly in the last three, it's been ridiculous. So I, I don't begrudge anybody for just spending time to put a little bit more money away and wait until the market corrects a little bit, which we've been... Hey, if you're doing that, fine. But that, that part of putting money away don't include an $85,000 electrical truck to set, could, set out in the apartment parking lot. It could. I mean, you know... Because that the, truck's going down in value. The, the explosion in tech sector jobs has really benefited people like that, though, who are making a quarter million dollars a year, but living in an apartment because, A, they're young enough. You know, some of these guys writing writing apps and, and doing web development, stuff like that, these guys are making a, an incredible amount of money, but they're, they're 25 years old, and they don't know where they're going to end up the rest of their life. They live here because it's, you know, because it's convenient for where they want to be now, but they don't want to necessarily buy a house and be tied to a geographical area for a long time. Just because you buy a house doesn't mean you're tied, you're tied down to it for the rest of your life. Not the rest of your life, but for at minimum two years. Well, only two years if you want to get out of the capital gains exemption. Yeah. But anyway, we're way away from cigars. Let's, we'll, we'll argue that after the show at some point. So I want to talk about Luxury Travel Magazine. The only reason I like doing these articles is because I like doing articles about cigars from non-cigar publications. 
So the A-List Travel, Luxury and Travel Magazine, top eight cigars to try in 2023. Do you want to guess what my first complaint about this list is? The fact that the top photo for the article includes a Padron 1926 anniversary, yet that cigar is not on the list. Exactly. That, that just blows my mind. Number one's the Davidoff Winston Churchill, and I know you and I, neither one are very big Davidoff fans, but I feel like for an article such as this that is not necessarily from a publication that's geared towards the cigar lifestyle, it's a, that's a good recommendation. If you're the kind of person who's going to spend the $40 on a shot of Johnny Walker Blue and you have a cigar occasionally when the occasion calls for it and it really is more about like kind of the travel atmosphere things so yeah i think the davidoff's a good choice if you've never had a padrone a davidoff is just fine yeah and there's guys that come in here that say oh i've never smoked a padrone and i always say the same thing then you probably shouldn't because once you, right now you don't know what you're missing. Right. Right now you don't know what the very best. Right now it's an open field to what the very best is. And once you get a Padron, that field closes. Now, of course, every one of them immediately walks in the humidor and buys a Padron. And now they're, they're ruined for the that, rest of their life. That should really be my sales pitch. Whenever I want to sell a $40 cigar, that should be what I tell people. Oh, yeah, whatever you do, don't buy this cigar. <laughs> yeah. So, but... Yeah, you know, and I'm not going to go through this whole list. Um, Cohiba Siri M, um, that's, you know, eh, kind of iffy. Well, so, but you've got to think about the publication this is coming from, right? This is a luxury travel magazine. This this magazine is, is aimed at people who have a net worth probably in the millions, if not tens of millions. And so, you know, the Cohiba Serie M, you know, that's that's a general product. That's not a Cuban Cohiba. And I can see how that, you know, we're talking about people who want the experience over worrying about value for dollar. But that being said, you know, the Gloria Cubana, Criollo de Oro is a great cigar. La Ruma de Cuba Passion is another very good cigar that aren't terribly expensive. But I don't, I don't have any issue with the Cohiba Serie M. Well, the... Um the biggest problem being the Cohiba Serie M, then at some point somebody's going to say, oh, have you smoked a Cohiba? And they're going to be talking about a Cuban Cohiba, and you're not going to know that. So who cares? Uh, no, I, no, I like really, it. who cares? Have you smoked a Cohiba? It, if, if you're going to be having that conversation with somebody without either having the knowledge or the energy to specify what you're talking about, I don't... I, I, I don't I, I think that's kind of on that, that's up to the people in the conversation I don't really care one way or another so the Rocky Patel white label this is the expensive Rocky yeah and man I wish Rocky would would make something good everything they make nowadays tastes the same to me it I does have, to me too I have not found a Rocky that didn't taste like every other Rocky you could blindfold me and give me a white label and an edge, and I probably couldn't tell you the difference. You'd probably be able to tell the difference between those two. At, at both sides of the spectrum, yeah. the average person probably couldn't. Maybe not. Um, the other, the Spada by Monte Cristo, excellent cigar. 
that's a cigar that's kind of stood the test of time. It has, yeah. Um, you know, a cigar like that usually comes out and then it kind of burns down, but that one is really that one has staying power. Yeah, for sure. So really like that, but I thought that was cool. So let's talk about the Boutique Cigar Association. The BCA, this is from Cigar Journal, Boutique Cigar Association announces the launch of new member website. Do we need both a PCA and a BCA? Do we need them both? Probably not. Is there room for both? I think there is. You know, we we almost got into this before the show. I don't have any... Pro- and now, let's be clear. They're talking about launching an updated website. It's not that the BCA is launching. They've been around for, for some time. I don't know exactly how long. But if if you look at if you look at the cigar industry through a wide lens, going back you know fifteen twenty years, maybe even back thirty years to the cigar boom of the nineties, the major players have dominated the scene for a very long time. And back when PCA was IPCPR, you would go to the show and it would be dominated both in footprint and activity by the big players. And it made it really hard for the boutique guys to get a, a word in edgewise. And the needs in the or in the industry for a boutique cigar company are going to be different than they are for General and for um, Altidus. And I, I do think there's a there's a, a, a good a good reason to have a BCA. Now, you know, we started get couple years ago, or last year, I think it was the first time, a lot of the big players announced they weren't attending PCA anymore. Right. The big four dropped out of PCA. Yeah. So now, I think it's important to specify, though, they didn't drop out of the organization. They just stopped going to the show. And that's different. You know, we think of PCA as being the company that, the organization that puts on the trade show every year. And yes, that's who they are. But that's not all they do. You know, they do lobbying. They do other sort of marketing impress for the industry as a whole. And if you think about all of the benefits that the PCA has to the org- to the industry, I think the BCA has, for boutique cigars, an ability to, to help elevate their footprint for a company that may not have the payroll to be able to do it on their own. Well, at the PCA show when I was there this year, boutique cigars were just doing just fine. Mm-hmm. They were not struggling. They were not having a hard time getting there. If you wanted to, you could find them. I don't think anybody is struggling to get to find a boutique cigar. And here's the problem with boutique cigars. Boutique cigars have to be hand-sold in a humidor. It's hard for a boutique cigar to stand on its own. So you have a greater you have to you have to get the shop owner to buy in more on a on a boutique product than you do on the big box products. And the question is how much is that shop owner going to do that? Well, but I mean we've seen it time and time again in every shop, you know. It doesn't matter whether it's a boutique or a main label brand. What the owner and what the employees smoke is what's going to sell hands down. If you're not pushing a cigar, it doesn't matter who makes it. If you're not, with very few exceptions, it doesn't matter what that brand is. If the people that work there are not putting people on it, it won't sell. Well, it's got to first be a good cigar. 
Yeah. And then you've got to have somebody willing to bring people there, bring it to people's attention. And I'll, you know, I, I don't think that Jake White cigar that you're smoking, I don't think I could promote that enough to make it a staple in that humidor. No, I don't think you could either. And I'm, and it's not a terrible cigar. It's just there's so much better stuff in there, in my opinion. Yeah, for the price especially. But I wanted to, I wanted you to smoke it and to know kind of what you thought to be sure I wasn't judging them too harshly. Yeah, but, I, you know, to go back to this whole, you know, boutiques are doing fine at PCA. That's, that's great. But there's also a little bit of a power vacuum now. And so they're able to shine because the major players didn't show up. And I think... If you if you look, that's why I say we take a wide angle lens. Look back the last twenty years. You know that's a very recent development. It didn't used to be that easy for the small guys to get in front of retailers. But how much money does a boutique cigar have to throw at associations and all of that stuff that they can be part of PCA and BCA? I I don't know what the membership dues look like to to be able to answer that. To me, it would look like what you would want to do is get somebody at the PCA to say, okay, we're also going to have a boutique division or something like that. And, and in a perfect world, yeah, great. But and until then, they do that, yeah, you know, because the, yeah, the interests are going to be different and the, the goals of that organization are going to be different. I think if you own the company, it's up to you to determine which of those is most going to help you achieve your goals for membership. Okay, so... One more article before the break. Ohio governor vetoes law that would have prevented cities from banning sales of flavored tobacco vapes. Um, I think this is one of the few things you and I agree on. Yeah, I, although for different reasons. But, yeah, I think... I, I, I'm glad... I didn't think I was going to end up agreeing with the Ohio governor here. But, yeah, I think the the smaller and the more local a government is the more likely it is that they're going to know what's best for the people and i think that i think those ordinances should supersede in most cases uh, any larger governing body yeah i don't think a state should be able to say hey you can't in your municipality you can't outlaw vape flavored cigars to me that's an overreach one it's not something they should be involved in and it, I just don't. I, I'm I'm in agreement with the Ohio governor on this. Well, and it's it's also it, it comes down to the specific case here too, right? Because it wasn't saying that you know it it wasn't it wasn't that the Ohio as a state was going to issue this ban. They were issuing legislation that said you can't ban something, which is just they're they're governing legislation, and I think that's why I have such a problem with it. Yeah, I just I think the governor did it right. Yep. Governor then Governor Mike DeWine, a Republican, vetoed the bill that would have prevented cities and counties in Ohio from introducing their own bans on flavored tobacco and vaping. I wanted to be sure he got credit because I do think that's a good decision. Yeah, I think so too. Well, we're kind of working on a truncated schedule tonight, so let's jump to break. When we come back, got some stuff, got some things to talk about. I want to talk about a new cigar accessory that I'm not sure how we're going to like. Um, got a morbid story that I'm not sure if, <laughs> if everybody's going to find it as funny as I do. And a new Agonorsa Leaf Supreme Leaf. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting next to the man who thought he was a person of influence till he tried ordering someone else's dog around, Mr. Trey Dead. That is the ultimate test, isn't it? I, I love it. It's a Will Rogers saying. I'll give him full credit for it. If you think you're a person of influence, try ordering someone else's dog around. That's pretty good. Or kids applies as well. Well, I'm pretty good at ordering kids around and all because I scare them. And I, I, usually, I find that really hard to believe. I just actually. go straight to fear. Okay. I just give I give them the stare. But you know, the um. By the way, before we get back into cigars, the greatest heel move in the history of professional wrestling was pulled this weekend, and it wasn't in a wrestling ring. It was in the WWE boardroom. Did you see anything about this? I I follow wrestling news not at all. So, you know, Vince McMahon was asked to retire about about a year ago. He formally retired amid some some scandals and things such as that. Nothing nothing that hurt anybody. I think they used it. The board tried to use this as an excuse to oust Vince McMahon. Well, this week, Vince McMahon walked into Titan Tower, walked into the boardroom, looked at the chairman and said, you're in my seat. I just made myself chairman. And you two, you're out of here. I want my two people back in here. And they all looked at him agape, and he said, I own 83% of the voting shares. TV deals are due next year. You do what I say, or I won't sign a single TV deal or sell of the company until you do. And the board folded like a cheap suit. <laughs> How was he? So they, they, they removed him as CEO. But he still held, but th- there was no. He sort still of owns 83% of the voting stock. That's funny. So none of the TV deals can be renewed without his signature. And especially, the big rumor is the sale of the company. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going for the sale of the company. What do you think the value of the WWE is? If you had to put a dollar on it, what would you guess that, the, if, that you were going to buy the WWE for today? $5 billion? $5 billion is the price tag. Really? <laughs> That makes me think I've told you before. No, that's, that's <laughs> that was, impressive. That was an impressive guess. <laughs> but, well, it's a company that grossed a billion dollars last year. Okay. So on a company that grosses a billion dollars, $5 billion ain't that bad a price tag, all things considered. Well, but inter- entertainment properties are tricky to evaluate. Uh, yes, but in this era where everybody is struggling for content, because right now the forerunners of all of this... Um, NBC Universal, yeah, who has WWE Network on the Peacock Network, which is basically the only thing holding the Peacock Network up right now. That and the Olympics. They're they're the the front runners. Mm-hmm. Well, the Olympics you can't you can't run a business off of something that happens once every four years. No, 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 <laughs> no. But I'm saying that's where they get a lot of their viewership numbers as well. That and, being owned by Comcast helps. And then um, Fox, who owns SmackDown, who yeah. airs SmackDown. Uh, there's been rumor of Disney, but Disney ain't going to buy the WWE. That would no, be it's not, it doesn't fit their portfolio. Uh, but Prime and Netflix both have wanted to get into live sports content. Yeah. So it's a it's a good time to be selling a company like that. But I just I just think that's the greatest move ever. I, I'm surprised nobody thought of that. Like how does how you've got millionaires sitting on a board of directors, and nobody thinks to have their attorneys. Look at the look at the business and say, "Here's what you can and should and shouldn't do." It just that's bizarre to me. Well, it's amazing to me, but I just love 
you know, it's one of the reasons I hate stupid comedies because I like to see smart people do smart things. And for Vince just to walk in there and say, oh, yeah, I elect myself chairman of the board. And these two people you fired, George Barris, Michelle Johnson, they're back in. You three hit the bricks. <laughs> and all that. I do think it kind of defeats the purpose of having a board-run company if you've got one person who can just make themselves chairman. That kind of defeats the purpose. Absolutely. <laughs> no, but like I said, smart people doing smart things. All right, my cigar is going. Yeah, out. I'm I'm jumping in. So tell me about it. Yeah, the cigar, the C I C C A R, is well, you know Cruella Deville <laughs> and the little cigarette holder that was popular in the 20s and the tens and 20s. This is essentially that, but it's a lot shorter. It's probably about an inch and a half long. But essentially, it's a mouthpiece for your cigar. Now, we're not talking about a tip like on machine-made cigars that you get at the gas station. It's universal. It can hold up to, I think, a 60 ring gauge, if I remember correctly, 54. Uh, It has various silicone inserts so that you can get down to a Lancero or, you know, all the way up to the 54. And basically, it's... Uh, I remember when I looked at these originally, they were wood, but it looks like maybe they're made out of something else now. Yeah, th- well, no, it's still stone and wood is still the material it's okay. made out of. But they've got a little rubber prophylactic yeah, that goes on the end of it. Yeah, that's that silicone ring I was talking about. Okay, so there's a couple of things about this. Is this an example of a good ideal that nobody's ever going to utilize? <laughs> that So... I mean, in a way, yes. However, I remember when I was living in Atlanta, I I had a few friends who would basically use a pipe for this purpose. And it's great if you've got a cigar that you really don't want to put down, that's staying consistent all the way through the nub. And, you know, you've got your little poker. Right. But essentially, I know guys would get down and then they would stick the end of the cigar in the in the belly of the pipe and they would finish the cigar that way. And so I think this is just an extension of that. Well, I watched the video and one of the selling points that this guy made on it was that you could leave the cigar in the holder, take the little rubber nub off. Someone else could put their rubber nub on and try the cigar. I'm not <laughs> there on that. That you know, seems a little... You and I are pretty close. <laughs> but I don't think we're going to share puffs off the same I, cigar. I don't I think, think I would I like sp- to do that with my wife. I think I speak for most cigar smokers that they would rather share their wife before they shared their cigar in this manner. <laughs> well, no, I'm not going there. because my. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not saying of you and I. I'm saying of most cigar smokers. That's, that's a bridge too far. <laughs> yeah, but the guy talks about that in the video for it. And I'm thinking to myself... That's not the sales point you want to be highlighting. Yeah. You want to be highlighting, hey, you can smoke it longer. You can get your full value. You know, if I was going to sell this product, they brought, sent it to Shane's Marketing and more, I would say, okay, I need to know, Mr. Al, how many puffs does it take to get to the bottom of a Padron? How much extra value are you getting out right. of this? Right. So if the average Padron takes, let's say, 150 puffs. All let's right. make it easy numbers. For a $30 cigar, how much is that a puff? Right. That's, let's say, a quarter... 50 cents. 15 cents, quarter a puff. So if you could then say, 
I'm going to now add 50 puffs to that cigar. Right. And uh, I think I think we could get that all put together. And that's how You're I really sell quantifying this. that value for dollar that we talk about. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't want to highlight the part where me and my buddy could share a stick. Right. Well, you know, and the thing is, like, sharing a stick or, or whatever, it does happen, you know, particularly around new cigar smokers who are who don't mind that sort of thing. That's fine. Um, but I feel like this is a, an accessory for someone who knows what they like. I don't feel like the kind of person who's still, oh, let me try that. Oh, oh, what is that? I don't feel like those people and the people that buy this are in that middle part of the Venn diagram. I guess if I had one of these, if all I smoked was at home on my back porch and it was just me and my cigars on my back porch at home, then I could probably use one of these. But I couldn't see me utilizing one of these in public. You know what else I just thought of? You know, nicotine stains on your hands, which certainly are not nearly as bad for cigar smokers as it is for cigarette smokers, but it it does happen. Um, So that would be a benefit. I'm also wondering... Now, when you go to the dentist, does he give you... does he give you shit about smoking? No. Because every dentist in the world can tell if you smoke cigars or not. Oh, yeah. They'll, they'll say, um, do you drink a lot of coffee or tea? I say, no, I smoke cigars. Yeah. And then I dare them to say something to me. But, so I'm curious. I don't know for a fact, but I wonder if this could also help with some of that. For somebody who's, you know, if you're going to go out and pay ten grand for veneers, you're not going to want to do anything that's going to stain them. And if this could help kind of alleviate some of that, I can see that as a benefit. Not to the point that I would spend a hundred dollars on this thing. Hundred and fifty for the starter kit. Yeah, but a hundred, which that yeah. I also think is funny. So the starter kit's one fifty, but you can buy a replacement cigar for a hundred. Okay, so I don't. Why do I need so the does kit? Your name, does your name go on a list? Yeah. I don't. <laughs> Is it like the cell phone thing where they always give the new people great deals and then you call and say, hey, I need that deal. Now you're already a customer. No, you're you already that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they let me buy a replacement if I never bought the starter kit. Yeah. But either Does way, your yeah. name go on a list? Yeah. I'm not spending 100 or $150 on something like this. Okay. So this is an unusually morbid story for the cigar cast, but I find this way too hilarious. Um and maybe hilarious is not the right word. Well, funny in an ironic sort of way, not funny haha. Yeah. So from Channel 10 News, they're on your side. His remains were found in a golf bag at Douglas Lake nearly four years ago. Now investigators finally know his name. So let's say you've retired, you're living your dream on your little lake home, and you wonder and you see a Thompson cigar bag sitting on the beach. You think you've just won the lottery, Trey. That's right. You got a new golf bag. That's right. Thompson cigar. Maybe there's cigars in it. That's right. This could this could only get better. You rush up, you unzip the bag, and there is carrion of some sort in there. And immediate and of course the gentleman that found it said, Well, at first I thought it was a deer. And then I realized deer don't wear pants. <laughs> How small was this guy that he fit in a golf bag? I've decided not to delve too deeply into the grisly details. Well, I mean, I'm just thinking, if he saw that he was wearing, if that the remains were wearing pants, then they couldn't have gone too far with the human origami aspect. Well, of, but you know that trick where the magician saws the guy in half? 
thinking there may be some of that. Fair enough. But this this guy has a belt on that says Gerald. And the TBI, I love this statement for the TBI. We're not putting too much stock in the name on the belt because it could have been bought secondhand. Have you ever bought a belt secondhand with somebody else's name on it and commenced to wearing it? Can't, can't say I have, no. I can't say I've ever bought a belt secondhand, much less one that was emblazoned with identification of some kind. Well, I always assumed the only reason to get a belt with your name on it would be for this, just such yeah. this occasion. It's like the people that get their own name tattooed on themselves. Is that That's just for the body identification, right? Right. That's, that's really all that's good for. It's like putting your name in your underwear. I don't understand that part of it. I guess when you go to camp, that's the old joke. Put your name in the underwear. I guess. I don't let mine get far enough away from me that it would ever be confused with anybody else's. Well, and if somebody is hard up enough for a pair of underwear that they take a pair of mine, I'm going to let them have them. (laughs) Yeah, by all means. Just like if you're hard up enough that you need a belt with Shane on the back of it to wear around, I'm, I'm okay with that. The other ironic part... But you draw the line if they're hard enough for a puff of your cigar to switch the mouthpiece. That's right. That's out of the question. At that point, we're legally married in three states. Um, The other thing about it is he was wearing a Walking Dead t-shirt. Now, how ironic is that? That is pretty funny. You You know what I like about this story, though? So, the remains were found four years ago. And they're only just now, through DNA evidence and other things, actually able to definitively, definitively identify who it is. You know, in the early 2000s, we had, you could not turn on the TV without seeing CSI or some forensic-based blah, blah, blah. Right. And they turned around lab results in three hours. And... I honestly think shows like that were part of, this is my conspiracy theory, that it was part of government propaganda. Because now you've got a whole lot of people that probably could be tempted into committing crime, but they're convinced because of early 2000s TV that they'd never get away with it. See, I would buy into that, except for the IQ of the average criminal is... I watch CSI, so now I know what not to do. Perhaps, but the point the point remains that this took four years to to get DNA results of any conclusive matter, and so I just I like that it it, it clearly demonstrates what the actual limitations to forensic evidence are. And this was in Knoxville, so arguably he was stone's throw from the body farm where they literally studied this stuff for the last sixty years. So, just out of curiosity, hypothetical question. If the government said, hey, we would like there to be a national DNA registry, um, everybody that would like to have their DNA registered, please volunteer and go and we'll swab your mouth out and we'll keep you on file, would you do it? I think it's bold of you to assume they haven't and just not told anybody. Well, let, let's assume for an instant that our government has a shred of okay. of honesty and moral then I'm gonna then I'm gonna upset your argument again, but in a different way. They don't have to, because recreational DNA testing is a thing. Ancestry.com and 23andMe, and I guarantee you, 30% of the people, and maybe not in this room, it's small crowd so far. But I'd, I'd guess in most rooms, let's say at your generic corporate office of some kind, 
25% of those people have submitted to voluntary DNA testing of some kind. Oh, and I have. All, I'm on 23andMe. Yeah, I, I got a kit for Christmas. I'm going to be doing it. If I could ever make it 30 minutes without taking a drink of water, I would, I would actually do the thing. But, yeah, all they have to do is subpoena those records. Okay, but you still haven't answered my question. Assuming all things being equal, if they said, hey, we think this will solve a lot of crimes, we think this will help a lot of people, um, we want your DNA, would you, would you step up? I would have to seriously consider it. Like I said, I'm about to join the 23andMe clan, so basically I've, I've, I'm saying yes, right? Because it would be easy enough if our government wanted to use that database, they could. So, but I would, I would have to really consider it. Well, okay, but here's the question. Why would you not? Because, you know, I'm not going to commit any crimes for which I need my DNA hidden for. I'm not worried about them cloning me. <laughs> I'm not worried about, I, I don't see the downside. I mean, I would, I'd be happy to, but, you know, I had to go get fingerprinted for my real estate thing. Yeah. And that didn't bother me, and that bothered some people that, oh, I'm going to have to go get fingerprint. Why? See, fingerprinting doesn't bother me, but, you know, the thing with DNA testing is it's still not perfect. And, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm not planning on committing any crimes, that, blah, blah, but going back to those TV shows that highlight, you know, forensic evidence as, you know, the make or break of every major police case in an area, you know, all you'd have to do is happen to have walked through the woods 30 minutes before the killer dragged the body out there, and if they grabbed the wrong sample, then you're implicated. Okay, I, I I can see the the paranoid. I mean, version it just of that. well, it just makes it too you know. And if we want to go super paranoid off the rails, you know, let's say that you're an outspoken member of some fringe political group, and then somebody on the other side of whatever your leanings are comes concocts a scheme to try and frame you for something and it's made all the that much easier by the fact that your DNA sample is already sitting in a database somewhere. I always hope my enemies are that smart. I, I feel like I could be judged as a great guy if my enemies were that right. bright. But I'm, like, that's super... I, I don't have that concern, <laughs> but I can see how some people would. Well, let's wrap it up. May wrap it up a little early, but let's talk about one more cigar before we well, go. Well, let's let's do your let's talk about trips. Oh, okay. We yeah. got we got time. Okay, good. Well, we'll talk about cigar travel. So, the genesis of this are of this conversation. Um, I secured a hog hunt last week. Went ahead and put down my deposit. Me and a couple of guys from the shop to go out to East Tennessee to a. It's a thousand-acre fence ranch where they have Tennessee Russian boar. Okay. The little ones are about four hundred pounds. The big ones are about six hundred. Okay. And we're all three of us going on a hog hunt. And we're all three cigar buddies here. We wouldn't know each other if not for the cigar community here. And we're we're going to do that. And I see a day where after this, there's probably because a lot of guys have said, "Well, I'm not really interested in hog hunting," but. Boy, if y'all want, if y'all put together a fishing trip, run down to Destin or to Gulf Shores and all that, I'd be in 100%. We tried to put that together a couple of years ago. Yeah. And it's, you know, the thing with cigar guys, though, when you get a group of guys in a place like this and you're all talking, all plans sound great. 
but getting guys to actually follow through and commit to that, especially if they have wives and kids that they have to, you know, or if they have jobs and they have to finagle time off as opposed to being a business owner where they can just make their own time. It, it's tough to it's tough to herd those cats. Yeah, it takes a certain amount. Well, what it takes is a drop dead date. It takes okay, everybody that's going to be a part of this trip has got to have this this commitment in by this day. Because in my life, a maybe is a no. Right. If I call somebody and say, "Hey, I'm doing wrestling Wednesday night. You want or th- Saturday night? You want to come watch?" Oh, I might make it. I might not. Okay, that's a no. That's a no. Yeah. I don't account for them. I don't think about them. I don't worry about it. Right. At all. In my life, maybe is the same exact thing as no. Um, to me, the only thing that's a yes is a solid, solid yes. Right. So um, you can you can work around those hurdles. And the cigar community is not a bad community to kind of put that sort of thing together in because you generally have older guys that have a little more disposable income. And you've also got a guaranteed sort of secondary common interest. Because I think that's, you know, I've got, a, I've got a handful of friends that I enjoy spending time with and, you know, go to their house, they go to my house, I would hang out. But the number of people that I would go on vacation with is a much smaller subset of that group. You know, it's because that, that's different. Well, vacation versus a trip is totally different. It, not really. Oh, yeah. I mean, yes, you're going there for the purpose of a hunt. And so there's a, you know, there's a dedicated itinerary. It's not like you're just all sitting around the day of trying to figure out what you're going to do. I, I get, well, it's also not like we're toting wives and kids and all that junk either. We're, even if I were just going to go, I was talking about this with my wife last night. I love skiing. Skiing is probably my favorite pastime on the planet. I absolutely love it. And I plan on, for, to that purpose, that I plan on retiring within an easy drive to a major ski resort. But I haven't been in years, mostly because it's gotten stupid expensive. Oh, it's ridiculous. But I was talking about, you know... My wife has skied in the when she was a kid, but it's not really like she'd have to go to ski school. She'd have to kind of relearn before we could go out. And you know, my sister has the two little kids in tow, and it becomes a bit of a logistical thing. Uh, and and I was like, you know what? If we can't make like a proper ski trip happen in the next couple of years, I'm just going to buy a ticket and I'm going to go out west and I'm just by myself and I'm just going to spend three days on a mountain. She goes. She was like, "Yeah, but I want you to take somebody with you. Like, there's like, I, I know you're never alone on the mountain. There's plenty of people around. But like, and I started thinking about like, my brother-in-law is the only person on the planet I can think of that I could say, we're we're going to Breckenridge. We're going to stay in the cheapest accommodations we can find within an hour, because we're not going to spend any time there. We're going to be at the lifts when they open. We're going to stay till they close." We're gonna we're gonna eat what we find, but it's a ski trip. You're a hell of a trip planner, man. You can really make it sound appealing. Because it's, all right, we're gonna stay at a flea bag and we're gonna well, subsist on pine cones you and think, berries. If, if you think I'm cheap, you should meet my brother-in-law. He would be down for that part. But the point is, we're going there to ski. 
We're not going there to eat at a five-star restaurant. We're not going there to stay at the Shangri-La. We're going there to ski. And he's the only person I think that I could get on board with that. Somebody out there that's got one of those AI-generated art things, I'm going to need a picture of Trey on a set of skis chasing a squirrel for the nut. <laughs> Squirrel's got the nut held out in front of him, and you're doing the full Tom and Jerry thing. <laughs> <laughs> Ski over a cliff, and I, it's yeah. like a full three seconds before I fall. Yeah, only once I look down. But anyway, sorry, I, I got no, I, mean, I got sidetracked by the the thought of this. So I mean, I get your point that a trip is different from a vacation, but it, but this still the principle remains the same. There's got to be some element of being willing, of knowing that the person or people you're going with share your same idea for what that trip is like and that's with cigars it's different you know cigars are a relaxing environment if you're going on a trip that has a dedicated purpose like a hunt or a ski trip you you obviously want to set aside time to be able to have a cigar but you don't ever want your main plans to be derailed by someone trying to relax yeah you know the the hog hunt works out perfectly just because it's at a lodge, they provide the food, there's a fire pit there. We know we can hunt all day and sit out by the fire at night and drink a little bourbon, smoke cigars, and have no problem whatsoever. So, yeah, I can, but I think that's the kind of trip. So, the question is what kind of trips are cigar tourism friendly? I mean, you know, camping is a big one for me. I know that's not really cigar tourism, but that's a that's a great scenario for that type of thing. You know, it's not we don't just sit around smoking cigars all day, but that's a big that's a big part of the downtime. Um, I do think I think fishing is tough because you can fish at night, so there's no dedicated start or stop time, and it's really difficult to smoke a cigar while you're actively fishing. Yeah, if you're going to do fishing, you've almost got to do the guided charter thing where, okay, we're going to be on the water with the guide from this time to this time, and when we get back to the dock, we're all going to go sit down, have a drink, have a cigar. Yeah. And I think you kind of have to do it that way. I think you get. So I think one of the things as we narrow this down for the listeners is you need something with a back end. Yeah, exactly. It can't be, it can't be something sort of open ended. It. There, yeah, there needs to be a purpose, but that purpose has to have bookends. Now, golf. So, golf reveals a man's character very quickly. You, get, you learn more about a man during a round of golf, I think, than anything else you can do with him. Yeah, I think so. So what's the chances that you take a couple of cigar buddies golfing and get home and decide you've got to find a new shop? Well, ideally, if you're going to plan that kind of a trip, you've golfed with them already. Yeah, I guess that's the, that's the key here. Go ahead and do a practice round at the local course with a couple of the guys and see see if they're the perfectionist golfer, if they're the fat. You know, I'm a bad golfer, Yeah. but I'm a bad golfer quickly. It, and you're a happy bad golfer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, I don't expect you're not, to do great. Right. I think the other thing, if you're talking about a golf trip, when you're having that little trial practice round or whatever, pay attention to their stamina. Because if I'm spending $1,000 on a plane ticket to Phoenix and, you know, $300 a night hotel room, 
I'm not just paying playing 18 holes a day. Right. You're going to want to be... I'm going to want to play probably 18, 24, or 18, 36, and 18, or something like that. Well, you know, the way we used to do it on our golf trips we'd go on is we'd do 18 on Friday, and then on Saturday we'd do 36, but we'd do two-man scramble, yeah. and we would pair the best and the worst scores from Friday. Right. And then Sunday, by the time everybody's wore out, we'd do a four-man scramble, and we would pair the best and the worst teams. Right. Yeah, and I think – but I think you have to do something like that because there's nothing worse than on the last day you've got one guy who goes, guys, have fun. I just can't do it. Right. I can't, I can't, I, I can't, I can't play another round. Yeah. Yeah, and also, you know, you kind of got to... The good thing about the cigar shop is you kind of know how heavy a drinker they are. Right. You kind of know if they tend to overindulge or overimbibe. You know, there's some people here at the shop that I wouldn't invite on the hog hunt trip because I feel like the fact... You can end up with a Dick Cheney situation. Well, just with them (laughs) getting up at four in the morning after... A a bender. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. After sitting around the campfire till 12 or 1 o'clock drinking probably wouldn't happen. Yeah. And I don't need that. So there is some of that. But, yeah, I don't think fishing unless you... But whatever trip you choose, you need a dedicated back end. Yeah. Um, now, what about Ybor City? I think, you know, I think it's tough because, you know, I love cigars as much as the next guy. Probably more than the next guy. And I would have a hard time doing a trip with cigar guys if we didn't have any other sort of common interest or 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 plan for something to do i'm not going to want to just smoke a cigar at this shop then we go have a bite of lunch then we go smoke a cigar at this shop then we go have a drink and then go have a cigar at this shop like that that's not fun to me um you know like so i'm going to puerto rico on friday or the day this airs really um, so, if you're listening to this on the day it airs, I need recommendations for a cigar shop in San Juan, Puerto Rico, if you have one. But one of the things, part of my brother-in-law, who we're going with, he smokes the occasional cigar. On Saturday, the ladies are going to get massages and pedicures and that sort of thing. And so he and I are going to sit down and we're going to have a cigar as a part of our as a part of our vacation. I think. You know, but even part of planning this vacation where cigars aren't the primary, it's like, okay, what are the things that we want to do? Like, you have to have a plan. And I think that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, I think you have to have something other than cigars to do on this trip. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, like... um, The exception being a factory tour trip. Well, we talked... That's kind of where I was heading. We were actually talking about that because we were at the show. Newman told us, they said, hey... Get a group together, bring them to Ebor City. We'll treat them like kings. We'll take them through the factory. We'll do the oh, whole I'd, shoot I'd match. love to be a part of that. Yeah, and I think that. But, yeah, I think that's another thing to remember as you plan these trips. You need something outside of, hey, we're just all going to sit all day and smoke cigars. And if you are going to do a trip like this to a, to a city where there's more going on than just like a hunt or a fishing trip or whatever, I think you need to have a dedicated on your own. Like... Saturday, like Saturday afternoon, is right. catch as catch can. If you want to go to a cigar shop and take the rest, fine. But like, just you're on yeah. your own. You know, um, one of the things that's been proposed here at the mission, and I'm having a hard time signing on, 
But it's called the Mission Cigars because the guys that founded it met on a mission trip. Right. And they've kind of proposed a trip where we go not to the worst area, but like we go to Nicaragua and we do some cigar tourism and then we take a day that we serve the community. I I don't think I can get... I think I'm out. I I can... You know, actually, I don't hate that idea. I don't know that I'd want to go, but I like the idea. You think it's fine for somebody else, just not... (laughs) Well, I I have a, a... Peculiar relationship with missions, but that's a story for another time. Wait, Trey has a complicated relationship with something. Hey, <laughs> uh, I, when did I will, this happen? I will oh. wear that banner. I don't care. <laughs> but but I like the i but I like the idea of of it, and I mean especially if you're talking about tourism to an area that where the cigars come from, and and you have an opportunity to give back to a culture or community that has given you so much enjoyment. I think there's a lot to be said for that. Well, you know, it would be, it would probably be a cool thing for Perdomo to set up. You know, hey, we go on the trip, we go on the Perdomo tour, and one of the rollers needs a new roof put on her house. Yeah. So we, you know, hey, everybody come, whoever volunteers to go tote shingles for a day or whatever they put on roofs in Nicaragua. Whoever volunteers to do that for a day, we'll give you a couple extra sticks. You'll be helping one of our rollers. You get to feel good about it. I, I could probably see that working. I could see some, I could see a, a market in that. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know that I'd go, but it sounds interesting. It, it does. It sounds really cool. <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap it up. And I'll, what do you think about the Jake Wyatt cigar? Four and a half. That's about where I get it. It's, I mean, it's, it's good, not great. It's... That, that weird sort of chlorine swimming pool taste off the top of it was really peculiar. And then as I've gone through, it's just harsh. It's just not smooth. And whether you like the flavor profile of a cigar or not, at $13, I expect smoothness. Right. There's a minimum you expect. You know, yeah. and that's kind of, that answer ties directly into my cigar. My cigar is a five and a half because it... I can't give it a six because it is not a six, but it's not a five because it's an excellent value for the money. Yeah. You know, this 15 minutes of fame from Caldwell, for the money, it's a great stick. Yeah. And I'll, it's a solid five and a half. That's exactly where it needs to be. All right. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. How do they get a hold of us? You can reach us at facebook.com slash thecigarcast. We're on Instagram and Twitter at thecigarcast and email info at thecigarcast.com. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Until next week, have a great cigar and thank all of us.